Welcome, everybody, to Season 3, Episode 2 of the Modern Living Podcast. I'm your host, Alec Hansen. Today, uh, first, let's frame it up before we introduce the guest. If you're tuning into Season 3, we're doing a whole season on storytelling. And So why storytelling? Well, the entire world passed down all of human knowledge with storytelling forever and ever, and it's how we've learned and how we continue to learn. And I come from a family of storytellers. And so just is the chance to get with people who have experienced and done tremendous things to hear their side of the world. David Licken's coming on. Now, David's been the host of Licken on Lending for over 13 years now. Like, I mean, this guy was in podcasting before podcasting was a word. He's also been a tremendous, tremendous mortgage, uh, mortgage experience, speaking on Fox News. I mean, this guy, if you, if you don't even, this, I've been following this guy for, since I got in the business. And he's one of the consummate storytellers of our industry too. So I want to bring him on, tell some stories, share some knowledge and have some fun. So let's get ready to rock and roll. David, what's up, my man? <laughs> Love that intro. That's a oh. great intro. So my buddy and I, we're all big nerds. And so that if you, ever, if you watch WandaVision or any of the Marvel stuff, we're, we're, this whole season is going to be a WandaVision theme. So we're starting back in the glory days of TV. But welcome to the show, my man. Good to be here. So David, Hi. we were wrapping in the green room before we went live. Um, and for those of you that are live right now, um, this is, can be as uh, uh, collaborative as you want. So we got comments, we can share some stuff. But um, this is super exciting for me, David, because I follow you relentlessly. I love the stuff you put out. You're, you are one of the best storytellers I know. And so I was like, well, who to bring on to talk about this? And you have such experience. And so here's really where I want to start, and then we can just go to crazy places here. Podcasting and what we're doing right now has become so buzzy. Everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's doing podcasting. And yet, I look back at Licking on Lending, and I'm like, no, this guy like carved the space in mortgage. 13 years? Yeah, we're doing our 13th season. That is right. Yeah, hard to believe. Hard to believe. It's crazy. So I got to start with like, what the heck? Why did you do this? How did you get into this? Like, what happened there? That's a great story. So I was asked to speak on a topic. I do a lot of conference speaking, public speaking, since we sold our last mortgage company, started consulting in uh, 2000. And so I'm in 21 years into consulting. And I got asked to speak at a conference. I do a lot. I, I enjoy public speaking. I love connecting with people. And however you can do it, I think a podcast or a conference is the best way to do it. Well, I didn't have a con clue what podcasting was, but I was asked to speak at a conference on a particular topic. And I said, I, I told them, I said, that's not my sweet spot. They said, go figure it out. You're a good speaker. <laughs> we want you here. I said, okay. So I started searching, researching, looking on this. And I said, you know, I have dyslexia. Now we can talk about that later because it's oh, yeah, we're going to get there in a number, number of ways, but I have some uh, dyslexia severe. And so for reading at the end of the day, it's not my favorite thing. I mean, I got oh. graduated from college. I got over it. I've learned how to overcome these things. And so I wanted to hear my auditory retention. Alec is so much better than my reading retention. So, and that's so true. What's interesting, the number of executives that have dyslexia. I gave the book, The Gift of Dyslexia, which really opened my eyes to this whole topic, to an executive. He called me. He says, I started reading the book. I cried all night long. He says, this opened my eyes to what I've been fighting. I had no clue this described me. Wow. And it's the gift of dyslexia. So I we start it. seeing someone as a learning disability as a gift. So anyway, I had this gift. <laughs> it seemed the like gift. a curse. And I couldn't read. I didn't. I mean, I could read. I'd read well, but uh, but it's holding it. And at the end of the day, when you're tired, 
that's not the thing. So go to your strengths, go to what you do well. And so I want to listen. So I said, there must be a podcast. I've been hearing about the new thing called podcasting. There yeah. must be a podcast out there that helps, that talks about this. I searched and I searched, I Googled, I binged, I did everything. <laughs> Ask Jeeves, yeah. <laughs> Whatever was working back then, I don't even think. Yeah. Anyway, so the point of it is I could not find anything. And I hear this, I'm an entrepreneur. When you see an opportunity and no one else is filling it, it's called FNAFI. FNAFI. Find a need and fill it. I'm going, I wonder if anybody else out there would enjoy a podcast about mortgage lending and talking about more complex things. So I, I, I was a top salesperson like you out there. I love that side of the business. I crossed over, owned three mortgage banking companies, an owner operator of three mortgage banking companies, and I had to learn the technical sides of it. And so I consult more on the operational side. I do some sales consulting, but that's what I did. So I couldn't find anything. I go, hmm, I think I'm going to start one. Let's see what happens. So I called people that knew a whole lot more about topics. I go, I'll just interview people. I don't need to have to be the subject matter expert. I'm going to just interview. I'll do what Alec does. So I did that. And uh, it's out there now. We're in our 13th year of doing this, 12 years past. And uh, we love it. And, you know, I think. You know, I just turned 71 on Tuesday of this week, so I'm going strong. And I found a new gear. And what it is, it's making a difference in people's lives. And that's what storytelling, Alec, yeah. can do so effectively is we can teach, we can give principles. But when you wrap those around a story, people remember them and they'll hold on to them. You know, I, 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 I'm not ready for this tangent yet, but you said that. And it's, I have to hit a point on it because it's so powerful there are a lot of loan officers today putting out video content, uh, mainly because it's very important and they should be. Um, but what yeah. I've noticed is the people that tell their content in a story yes. that, del that deliver the message of, but, but through an experience of somebody else or something they've experienced, it's so much more powerful than somebody who's just like, you know, debt to income ratio is important and here's why. And it, it, it's crazy. So I, I, you're dead on. Yeah. Tell, learn how to communicate in a story and you're going to be so much more effective in whatever you do, whether you're leading people, selling, whatever. It is so good to have a story. It's important. I'm working on this still, Alec. I don't know if you struggle with this as a storyteller, but I'm still working on the conciseness of my stories. Right. Yeah. Story get long, get long. Pretty soon you see people going. <laughs> well, let's, let's do this, David. Right. Give, me, give me the top one, two, three stories that, you've, that you can recall from your, your podcast career over 13 years. I mean, what... Uh, what what stands out? You know what? Some of the ones is when you connect with people. I, 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 the, the most important thing is I love connecting with people. There are some wonderful stories. Like, for example, when we use the theme of Christmas, I had uh, Kevin Stitt on and Casey Crawford, uh, both very strong faith-based guys. And, awesome people. And awesome individuals. And I've had them talk on. It's Christmas. I thought, oh, what a great time. Talk about giving back. Now, Kevin is the, <laughs> is the governor of, uh, of, he was at Gateway, and he still has Gateway, but I think he's done. I'm not sure where he is on ownership of that. But anyway, he is the governor of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he went on to greatness. But we had them around, and we had these moments where you connect with people and share about giving back. But some of my favorite ones are the ones we've done on Mother's Day and Father's Day. You go like, how do you bring a podcast, an industry podcast, to that? So one of my favorite ones that gets downloaded right crazy is one yeah. of my favorite people out there is Marsha Davies. Uh, Marsha makes a difference, and she has her daughter. And so I went out and interviewed Marsha and her daughter on the podcast, and that podcast gets downloaded crazy years later 
yeah. on Mother's Day. And so it, it's really, it's amazing. The other one is I did two podcasts. Uh, I've done a whole series. So every Mother's Day, I try to get a new one out there that's really meaningful, connects with people that has a great story. One of the stories in that one that everyone quotes is Marcia says, You're, people are like elevators. They either send you up or they send you down. And I go, that is such a great saying. And uh, so I, I can so understand why, uh, and her daughter works at uh, Freddie Mac, where it's coincidentally where uh, Marsha started. And it's again, not because of Marsha, she got on her own. <laughs> work way up. But you know what? I did another one, it's CMG. Chris mm -hmm. George. Uh, Chris George came on. And so it was Father's Day and we had all of his sons and they liked the, the, the song Rock and Robin. Rock and Robin. And then we had them on. That was so much fun to get to know uh, the Georges and the whole family. Because I think these companies, I'm also interested in generational companies. Companies where mm -hmm. you pass the company successfully onto one generation from one generation onto the other. They're in the process of doing that. Another one of my interviews that I did on Father's Day was Mitch Kiter and my three sons. So it's Mitch and my three sons. I'm old enough. <laughs> Going back, there was a TV program once a long, long time ago called uh, Mitch and my three sons. So we've, we built it around that. And you realize the talent and you realize, I mean, I love, I think what's wonderful about the millennials and the Gen Zers, they're more interested in your story about who you are. And when we start learning how to tell these stories effectively, there's a whole lot of reason why you'll want to do business with the Georges or with Mitch Kiter or Marsha Davies at the NBA. I mean, there's just a whole lot. So my, uh, my deal is learn how to tell a story and tell it well and, and build it around the season that you're in. But you're right about loan officers. There's some you go like, oh, dude, that is really bad. And then there's some like, man, that was good. And I think it's authentic, being authentic, yeah. transparent, and, and just sharing it. Don't work on perfection. Work on the You know, one, one of my favorite books um, that I probably read every couple of years and go back to it is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Oh. And I've, I've wondered why it was my favorite, one of my favorites. And then I realized really quickly it's because all of it is wrapped in stories. Each, each of the each of the chapters is dives into a story of an experience of this thing and this thing, and it lands the points at least for me very clearly and concisely. Yep, yeah. Patrick Lencioni does the same thing. All of his books, all his business books, are written in a fable, and it's when you transfer that principle through a fable through a story, it sticks, and it's really much more powerful. Well, so David, what what experiences have you had wrapped in stories that have been transformative for your career, your business, your personal life? Um, let's dive into a couple of these things. Well, it's, <laughs> this is an odd one. It's um, when I was early in the business, um, the most transformative thing that happened with me is when my boss came out to fire me. Yes, good start. <laughs> that's, like, that's, you know, like, that's not supposed to be a, you know, a, a, a seminal moment in your history as you're about to get fired. The trouble is, is I was so wrapped up in my success. I was successful. I was a top producer. Um, I was doing extremely well, but I had, we talked about dyslexia. I couldn't add up a column of numbers because the numbers move around. So yeah, if you got a column right. of numbers, and this was, I mean, I go back to that. It's, it's like the, I had to walk through five feet of snow to get to school and all that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started out when there was no calculators, Alec. That's how long I've been in the industry. Started in 1973. A four-function calculator costed over 300 bucks. It was old Commodore. And so I started out and we didn't have that. So I, I had to add up numbers by the head. Well, when, when you're dyslexic and numbers move from one column to another, how are you going to get the same answer twice? No chance. Yeah. So, so, you know, and I was a top producer, so they were loving the production, but the compliance department, dang, those compliance people, they like numbers to add up. Alex, what's wrong with them? What's wrong with compliance people? They can't be facetious. Of I course. Know. And I worked for a bank. It's even more so. Oh. So I, I, I couldn't get numbers to add up. Finally, the compliance department 
prevailed. And he said, uh, they said, you know what? I'll never forget L. Dean's Lawson. Uh, she's been gone for a long time. God rest her soul. She was uh, both a friend. She became a good friend because I learned to appreciate her strength and her genius. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what happened is she convinced the president of the bank he needed to fire me. Oh, God. So on his way to come out to fire me, he's really conflicted. We got a top producer. I'm yeah. setting this guy free. You know what's going to happen. He's going to be picked up by within an hour or yeah. two. He'll be hired by someone else, by the competition. And so he stopped at the, had his friend. Now, his friend has a master's degree in business, and he stopped at the out of body shop of this guy. And so he loves working on cars. He followed his passion. He was doing really successful working his passion. Another part of the story I love telling. And so anyway, this story, he stopped by the guy that's got a master's degree, but he's owns an auto body shop and he's working in there. And he goes, Hey, I need to sit and talk to you. And the guy says, okay, what you're doing? He says, I'm going out. What's the problem? He says, I'm going out to fire one of our top producers. I go, you're firing your top producer. Why are you doing that? He says, he can't add up a column of numbers and get the same answer twice. And he says, our compliance department is screaming and they're prevailing. I get it. We have a liability. We have, I, I don't know what to do. And the guy looks at him with a master's degree, owns the auto body shop, common sense, blue jeans and old bib overalls following his passion. He goes, you're the president of a bank and you can't figure this out? He goes, hey, listen, I'm already conflicted enough. Why do you have to add some you know, salt in on his wound? He says, well, well, what would you do, Mr. Master's Degree? And the president of the bank was very proud of the fact that he had succeeded and he didn't have a college education. He was very, very bright, but he didn't have a college education. So what would you do, Mr.? He says, I would go out and buy him a car I'd get him two assistants and tell him he could never touch a piece of paper. And the guy goes, duh, he got, he said, can I borrow your phone? He called HR, says, cancel the termination papers. Yes. And he called, he called it, says, do we have any cars that we repossess from our consumer lending? He says, yeah, we got one out at this one office. What kind of car is it? It's a nice car. He says, get the keys ready. We're going to give that to Lickin. So what happened was, um, I'm, I'm, he's coming out. He says, Dave, I need to meet with you. I thought I won a award. Yes. I'm going, yeah, come on out. It's got to be good. You got a bonus for me? I mean, it's all about me. I mean, yeah. me. I'm, <laughs> you're like, you're getting fired. I, I, I had no clue. And so thank God I never went to thank that auto body guy, but uh, it saved my career. But here's the most important part. It taught me the importance of focusing in on my strengths. I'm a relationship guy. Right. I want to tell stories. And what that experience, which could have been, devastating for the for the bank for the company it could be great for the competition someone would discovered how to utilize david look and i think that's what yeah. one of the things we teach is in our consulting and our coaching is we help people have you taken time to study what their person's strengths are mm -hmm. i think that's so important so i got to piggyback on this because speaking of being fired so my dad fired me in, oh. in mortgage and so it, it's, a, it's, it's super I, small I but i <laughs> I was up working at, uh, I, I was up at UC Berkeley for school and during summer I stayed up the last summer and I got a job in, in mortgage and I was doing well. It was 2002 or three and um, there's lots of loans happening and I was working on a, in a builder branch. So there's lots of, they couldn't, they didn't want to do refis. And anyway, I decided that I was going to work through my last semester. Um, I was going to stay working because I had a really low, I had, I had a couple classes. So I was like, I can, I can stay working. And so I didn't tell my dad and tell anybody, I was just going to stay working. And all of a sudden I get fired and, and I get terminated and I go, what, what, how? I didn't do anything wrong. I call HR, you know, I, I go, you can't fire me. What did I do? And they, like, they pull it up and they go, well, there's a note in here from your father. And he goes, enjoy your last semester. You have your whole life to work. Um, you can start up again after the school's done. And he, he turned me from the, wow. he wouldn't let me work. Wow. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, case. but you know, I did enjoy my last semester, and it was it was a it was a micro gift. I'm so driven that I I didn't I wasn't going to stop anyway. So I was like, I'm going, and and he actually had to pull me back. He like, no, just you get to relax a little bit longer. You're still a child, yeah. um, you know, because you think you're so old in college. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm so I'm an adult, you know, I'm, and I'm like, <laughs> now that I have kids and I'm 40, I'm like, I was not an adult at all. I'm mature. If you doubt me, <laughs> no. degree. I got a degree. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh no, I don't. I'm not prepared yeah. for the life. Well, I, okay, so I love this one, David. Getting fired. What what else you got? What's another well, good one? And then there's some, the stories now is what I've done for others and start making a difference in people's lives. I think mm. what you start looking at, it, it, when you, I've lived long enough, I've garnered enough experience. People say, you know, Lincoln, you're doing really well in consulting. You've been doing it for 20 years. I mean, yeah. you're like one of the most highest paid consultants. <laughs> That's a proud title, by the way, because when you're consulting, do you ever ask the heart surgeon before you go on for surgery? Now, uh, uh, can I ask you a question? How much is this going to cost me? No, you ask how many have you done? How much experience you have? So I've got, you know, I've got 47 years of experience under my belt. And so uh, I've got some experience and some stories and we share those and, and we always work it out for it. It works financially, sure. but I love working with executives. I love working with them about leadership. Patrick Lencioni, I mentioned him earlier. Yes. One of the things that I, that he recently launched that I love is the six working geniuses. And mm -hmm. what it talks about is find out your genius. There's six of them. There's, there's two that work in the area of ideation or creating ideas. Mm -hmm. There's two that work in the area of getting making things happen or we're discerning if an idea is good and then there's the last one is the execution so there's three areas so it's based on the word widget so it stands for you know if you're if you're working genius is wonderment that means you create things out of nothing you wonder what things were so there's a lot of people walking around that have the genius of wondering then there's the people that have the genius of invention that's what stephen jobs did created that Yes. iPhone that revolutionized the world. Then there's the guy that has the sermon. So we work with through this and we, we, we help people see and recognize in their company, in their branch, where they're working with, where is their genius? I was recently working with a company and the executives that own this company, the owners of the company going, come on guys, why is it that we are the ones that always have to come up with the solutions? <laughs> and I go, and so I said, hey, I, I've got a little assessment I'd like to run. Let me, let me send this out. Uh, I'm a part of the Capo group, which is a special group that gets access to these tools through Patrick Lencioni and the table group. So I sent this out and I said, let's have the assessment done. We're going to have you guys take it as well. We yes. took this assessment and guess what? They're working geniuses of the executive team. They had hired all get or done people. These are people with the engagement mm -hmm. and tenacity, the ability to come up ways to get things done. And then that fortitude to drag over the fire. They're working frustration. So he breaks into your working genius, your working competency, your working frustration. I know I'm ta talking some material, but I to put wrapping in the story. Here is an executive that did not know how his people were wired. And they were asking them to do their, the, what is their working frustration? Does that make sense, Alec? Totally. Clarity. Crystal. And when we, when we try to get people, you know, to do things that frustrates them, guess what? They're going to go home. They're not going to have a good day, even if, they, even if they're paid well. But when we get people working in their working genius, mm -hmm. then we have, they come home. It can be the toughest day, longest day, most big challenge. But if you focus your people to work on solving problems using their working geniuses, which is two of them, that we always have a dominant, subdominant, then you get them through. So it is transforming companies when you start getting these things. And that's what I love doing. I love helping executives because I believe in a TGIM culture. We should have a TGIF. 
TGIF is thank God it's Friday. We've worked our butts off all day. It's time to go boogie and go home and have a great weekend. Enjoy our family, enjoy our friends. Go to the soccer game. Go to a ball game. Just got invited to go to Dallas game on Sunday. So the thing is we should go do those things. However, if we have created a company where it's exciting, we should also have a TGIM. Because we have, for most people, even those that don't have to work, I have one of the guys that works for me, Mark Helm, very successful, very wealthy. He works because he wants to. Yes. It's a TGIM. It wants to come back and make a difference, even though he's got all the reasons why you'd not have to work. He continues to work. So I think it's finding those things. And that's what I'm passionate about, Alec, as I want to help companies create a TGIM. Thank God it's Monday culture and recognize how to operate and organize your people and hire to certain strengths, their geniuses, recognize them, and then and rearrange your organization in such a way that everyone is working in their working genius and in their working competency and avoiding working in their working frustration. So fascinating. That's what I'm passionate about. So, so when would this aha moment happen for you? When did you start understanding this framework? Was it Lencioni's work? I mean, this is a, this is a paradigm well, shift. Well, I think Lencioni brought me tools of something I've been passionate about for decades. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and I think it comes from working in some really dysfunctional deals where it was never a TGIM. It was like, arg, it's an arg, it's Monday, not a TGIM, thank God it's Monday. And you work in enough of those cultures, you go like, my marriage suffered, my mm. relationship with my kids suffered, my health suffered because I was in a miserable environment. And I believe that whether you're a boss or just a supervisor of few, or if you own and run a whole company, you have a huge responsibility to create a culture. And I believe you're going to be held accountable at some point in time for what you did with the people that worked in your organization. And like Marsha Davies said, are you sending them up like an elevator, putting them up into a better place? Or are you pushing them down? And I believe in the the concept of creating an environment where people just look forward. Cause I really believe people want to work, but they want to work in a healthy environment, Alec. Well, so share some of your experiences on this. So what were this, what were these, these, well, I'll call them toxic environments, but what, what were they like? What was happening in them? Um, well, what is the leadership like? Yeah. First of all, I mean, another one of books, Patrick's books is uh, on uh, the five dysfunctions. It talks about trust mm -hmm. as one of the foundational things. I think there's just a lack of trust. Yeah. And the another thing is we have another company that we're consulting to where everyone is afraid to piss off everybody, anybody. Ooh, I like this. They're doing So they're afraid of conflict. You, yes. I mean, if there's two people to gather at any amount of time, ask anyone who's been married for more than any amount of time, there's conflict. And that's yeah. what happens. And if we embrace the conflict and we celebrate the conflict and we do it in a healthy way, it strengthens the trust foundation. Agreed. In other words, Alec, you and I are working together. If I'm processing your loans and I go, Alec, this sucks. Or you come back on me and say, Lickin, why didn't you do this? Yeah. You know, you know what? I'm struggling with this. But you raise it up as you conflict, you confront it. The unhealthy companies are afraid of conflict. And I'm thinking of one particular company, obviously won't name it, where this company, probably one of the more profitable ones out there, is looking at their business and they didn't even realize that they've stressed a culture of we all get along. Mm. That got translated into, and so therefore, <laughs> never confront because we're afraid of conflict because what it looks like. And that is created a huge dysfunction. That is a blind spot. Well, sh share, share some experiences you've had with healthy conflict. Oh <laughs> my gosh. That's one of the best ones. I love getting into meeting where people are free. 
I have such a relationship with you, Alex, that I can go in the room and I can be pissed off about yep. this. But you know, and I know, he loves me. I like him. I like him. And when you're in that, you go, come on, Alex, you're better than this. That's a healthy conflict versus you suck at this. Why don't you fix this? Why aren't you address this? I've talked to you about this five times and you're not doing anything about it. I should fire your story behind. Bleep, bleep. Um, And the reality is, or you come in and you take on and say, Alec, I know you are so much better than this. What's going on in your life? Are you distracted? You know what? Hey, guys, you know what? One of my kids is just, I just, on our family members just got diagnosed with COVID. I am yeah. so distracted right now. You go, oh, I'm so sorry. Let's put some other people around you right now. So if we can confront and, confl- and, and, and enter into conflict, you're going to learn about things and it drives relationships deeper, Alex. And that's the missed opportunity when people say, I'm just afraid to conflict. I'm in conflict, get into conflict and confront. That's the word I was looking at. I'm afraid to confront someone because it may create conflict. Yeah, I love that insight, David. It is it is understanding the person through the conflict, and and but if you don't, if you like you said, if you don't have that relationship, and Start and I can't see through it, and I can't see that you're actually not mad at me, that that we're we're trying to solve a problem. But yeah, it's that it's a it's that's a mature hard thing. I think a lot of people, and there's also things that you could also tell something like a company that's driven by a CFO type. That's, they have more of a financial, they're a numbers KPI person. <laughs> yep. I'm about KPIs. I want to say, how many loans have you submitted? What, da, da, da. And they extract with that KPI language. I believe in KPIs. We need to manage our business by key performance indicators. No question. Good, sound business practice. But where that goes over the line and gets us stuck in a ditch is when it takes out the fun factor. And there's got to be, we get together, we're, I was just, I'm, I'm coaching, uh, I'll put her name out there, uh, Emily Farley of Atlantic Bay, and I'm coaching her, she's the head of production for the company, and I just love Emily. And she is all out about creating fun in her organization. Mm-hmm. So she has, they've, they've done some of the most innovative things, Alec, on how to create fun on Zoom calls. Like, I mean, I think one of them was how, how much bling can you wear on a Zoom call? <laughs> like the ugly sweater. So yes. everyone's got this yes. stuff bling, and it's it's just fun, crazy stuff. And so uh, I I really believe that there's things we can do to create that culture, even in a Zoom distributive workforce. Um, Daniel is chiming in. Thanks, brother. Yeah, this is fun. David's hey, killing Daniel. it. Insight. Um, so, David, I want to ask this question, um, and and it's so funny that you mentioned that you you have dyslexia. Um, there's another really prolific podcaster named Chris Ross who I've talked to, yeah. and he he came out. He was like, "I have dyslexia." And I'm like, "Are you serious?" And he he's got two million downloads. I mean, he's just and and so I, one of the things that I know people take inspiration from is just how humans deal with hardship. Mm-hmm. And being having dyslexia, I mean, how how did you figure this out? What what hardships oh, did you great. have? How'd you, how, I mean, you've obviously story. thrived through it, which is incredible. But I mean, I know it hasn't been easy. It hasn't. And I thrive through it without having the knowledge I'm about ready to story, share. And it comes in, guess what? It comes in a story. So we moved from Southern California. We sold our last mortgage company in, that I had an interest in. And I was, uh, uh, ran the mortgage banking division for this company as one of the owners. We sold the company and we moved out to Austin, Texas. And our 
putting our daughters in. We bought a home and we're living. Yeah. That's where we live now. And we loved our time in Southern California. I wept. I had to give it. I mean, I could tell you that whole story. That's a whole other story, leaving Southern California. But we got to Austin, Texas. Great community. Wonderful city and a lot of great culture here. But yeah. we're putting our kids in our school and we're and it didn't work. The school that with private school we wanted to get them in, there was one position open for our, mm-hmm. our oldest daughter. Our youngest daughter hadn't started school yet. And we couldn't get him into that school. So my wife put him in the public school. And it was just just didn't work. Our kids were in private school in California and they wanted. So my wife says, I'm a school teacher. I should, I've thought about homeschooling. What would that be like? And so um, she started homeschooling. She said, well, before we do that, she says, I think we need to hire a consultant. I raised my hand. I wasn't a consultant at that moment. I said, that's a great idea. So we hired a consultant that came in and suggested the learning styles. Now my wife had gone to school on that, but she said she did not rely on her education she went out for updated latest experience. That's where a consultant can come in and add great value. This consultant came in. I, I, I can't thank this lady enough. She walked in, interviewed us. She was pretty serious. She was there's there was she had her game face, came in, nice to meet you, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Um, my wife and two daughters, and she said, uh, she looked at the interviews, a question. She said, looked at my wife, she says, You must feel like a stranger, like you're on a foreign planet. And she goes, my wife goes, excuse me, why, why do you say that? Well, your husband is severely dyslexic. Your youngest daughter, your biological daughter is dyslexic. And your adopted oldest daughter has dyslexia, but not as severe. She has dysgraphia. And, and Nancy knew all these terms. And I go, this what? <laughs> and she goes, she says, yeah, you, and I'm going to give you this book, David, The Gift of Dyslexia. <laughs> now I have dyslexia, so I struggled to read it, but <laughs> exactly. But, oh, my gosh, Alec, what it did is it realized dyslexics process multiple streams of thought. We can jump from one topic to another topic and come back to the topic, and that's not. We're a linear thinker. Like, my wife is a very linear thinker. One thought after another. And so you're in your working environment. Think about your working environment. You yeah. think about your boss. How many people? You're involved in the conversation, and they jump from this topic to this topic to this topic, and they come around, and they have no problem. It all comes together for them. Yeah. They're yeah. highly dyslexic. A very big clue that they're highly dyslexic. Embrace that gift because they, that is a gift when you understand to harness these things. So that is also helps you manage them when you're like that. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, feel, I, felt, I felt like, I know, uh, like inside of a, uh, uh, a racquetball court, just taking a yeah. ball and throwing a ping, 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 ping. My thoughts would go all over everywhere. But they were around the topic, but the linear thinker had very difficult time following me. Huh. Dyslexics, by the way, also <laughs> love stories. Dyslexics love us stories. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'm Steve Sims is somebody I've hung out with and follow, and I'll, he he's got on stage before, and he says, um, "I've never said I've never spelled something wrong in a video." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that. "That's great." I Absolutely. saw the interview. That was a good interview. You did, you knocked that one out of the park. I love him. Well, David, we got time for a couple more here. Here's what I want to ask. So obviously you've been consulting for a long time and you've been in the middle of some very interesting experiences. I have to imagine you come flying in and all of a sudden you drop in like a, you know, paratrooper into whatever's going on. And so what, give me a, give me a story of a time when you dropped in and things were radical and whatever that means for you. And Hmm. and what, what happened in that experience? Well, there's, there's one celebrated story. It's happened in New York and, um, I was fairly new in the consulting side. I'd been two years in and had developed my confidence about it. And, uh, but they, and I had 
I, one of the things I loved when I was in a brand, running a branch or running a company, I loved buying companies that are really messed up. I mean, <laughs> up and it's probably appropriate word, even though that's not one that we embrace all the time typically. Uh, but it, these were really effed up companies and I love getting into them because there's an opportunity. I could buy it. I buy the company at a very low price because of the problem. Sure. And then I come in. So I love turning, doing turnaround management. So it's something I've been doing for a long time. Identify the problem, go in, set the problem right, and then you have a company that's got great value. And so that's one of the ways I grew a lot of the businesses I've yep. owned for the years. So I got paired. So I got this company in New York called me and says, you don't know us, but we've heard about your reputation of solving very complex problems. And uh, this also ties to dyslexia, which is really <laughs> interesting. So they, I said, sure, what's the nature of the problem? He says, we'll tell you when you get here. We're sending oh. you a ticket. Come on in. I'm going, huh, this is going to be fun. I'm intrigued. But, I'm but intrigued. When, I was intrigued too, but I'm getting paid a lot of big money to fly in and listen to it. So I went in, went into this boardroom of a large corporation. Nice. You take a look at view of New York City. Everything's oh, out wow. there. And brought in, they had everything there, and they're very impressive people, intimidating people walked in. Of course. Uh, very bright, very talented. I look at the resume of these people I'm going to be consulting to, and I go, holy cow, this is a successful group of people. Why am I in the situation? Well, they got a problem. Let's listen. So they started in, 9 o'clock. They started, and they talked for two and a half hours going through. We got this problem. They're, the department heads are pointing figure. And if you hadn't done this, and if this, then, then, well, obviously we have a lot of lack of trust, dysfunction going on in this place at a big time. But here's what the key, this is what a gift of dyslexia will do. You have a tendency to listen and you don't get buying in on any one story. So I listened mm. and I listened and I listened. And dyslexics, I'm a music major, I'm a vocal major. So also I recognize the gift of music. You are very creative. That's also I have the, the one of the six working geniuses, the in genius of invention. So I can get into complex situations and I can hear things. I love jazz, I love playing jazz. So I used to, I'm not so good at it anymore. So when I walk into that thing, at the end of two and a half hours, they said, Dave, we've hired you to come in. They're about ready to serve lunch. Do you have any clue of what's going on? Alec, at that moment, it looked like a ball of tape, double stick tape. <laughs> I couldn't even at the moment find the end of one piece of tape to start pulling on to get this thing. Oh but I relied on the gifts, that is my experience and the gifts. And I think a lot of people are afraid to put themselves out there. Absolutely. So what happened is I said, I believe I know exactly what the problem is. And I pulled that and I pushed back from the conference table, went to the whiteboard, and I got a complete download. I you, I, mean, I could tell you, get this on another topic sometime. I got a complete download and I started writing and I started writing. And I started writing. It came out. Because if you I love there's a book out here. I'm gonna put this up here for everyone to read. This is a book called Rare Leadership. Yeah by Marcus Warner and Jim Wilder. And it talks about brain science. It talks about your left brain and your right brain. We process too much of the problems in our left logic brain. We need to use the right brain. And then there's in that is the limbic brain that has no language. Simon Sinek talks about that in his, his, his why. He talks about the heart center. So the important part, part of this thing is learn to put yourself out there into complex situations, have confidence in your experience and what you've done, your training. I did, that we celebrated that. They go, that's exactly the problem. Then we spent the rest of the day drafting out, mapping out a solution to that problem. Wow. So I, with a few of those things that happen in my life, Alec, you, you're willing, there's not, that doesn't always happen, but no. 
there's times it's being honest. You say, oh, this, this one is one that let me, let me meditate on this. Let me chew on this a little bit. I journal a lot. I believe in journaling. That's another thing. Writing down your stories, journaling a lot. I think it really helps cement things or push things into you so they can come out later. So go on and on. Well, so, let me ask you this, David. Do you have a story or an experience in your life that was um, um, almost a fork in the road type of thing? Oh, yeah. Where, where something happened and it changed. And you look back and you wonder, well, if it didn't happen, my life would have been different. What, what, what happened? What was it? Well, there was a particular job offer that happened. Oh. I had always positioned myself <clears> to, <throat> I, I was raised by an entrepreneur. I should have recognized I'm an entrepreneur. But because, and my dad was an entrepreneur, my mom worked for a bank. I liked the lifestyle of the bankers that my mom worked with. Mm. And so I thought that's, that's the solution. I want to be that. And I denied what I'm going to refer to as an inner calling to go out and be an entrepreneur. Oh. So what happened is I pursued a job. I positioned, I, tan I got classes, I took this, and I worked, 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 worked. Hard effort, grinding, working. It's a, the working frustration is one of the, the, the two worst geniuses I worked. I pushed through to make something happen. Yes. And I was positioned for this job. And I was being offered the job. And I don't need to get into it, but a circumstance entered in. It had nothing to do with me. And they pulled the job back from me. And it was the dream job wow. I had been positioning for <clears throat> 10 years. 10 I was years. Devastated. Yeah. And then there's more that came out of that. There was some character assassination that came out of that. I had nothing that came out of the blue. People saying, well, but it's good you didn't hire Lincoln because of this or that or this or that. And it devastated me. It put me in that. But what it did is how do we handle those moments of rejection or failure or something didn't go? It's the ricochet effect. Do you ricochet up or do you ricochet down? Mm -hmm. And I... I did get absolutely knocked on my ass. I mean, I got to tell you, it was, it was a blow. I lost a lot of the network I was operating within at the time. Wow. Because I didn't know what to believe. And, yeah. um, and in that moment, I found something and I go, I'm an entrepreneur. And I created huh. a software company. I created this. I created that. And that's where all the success has come is working in my working genius in the creating, inventing, and then galvanizing and motivating, making things happen. That's my two working geniuses. That's wild. And I know people can reflect to that because all of us have had moments where they're pivotal and, and, and you get knocked down and you got to figure, especially mortgage. I mean, I feel like you get kicked in the teeth once a month here just, just for being in the industry. Yep. I'll never forget riding on the airplane just right after the housing crisis. And uh, we were riding on, a, on an airplane. It was late at night and every, a convention had just had, I was on a flight and so it was in Las Vegas. All these conventioners joined the flight and it was late. We're flying to Austin and, uh, and this, they, they, they were drunk and fun. It was a fun group. And they go, what industry are you in? I said, well, you guys have a good time. What do you know? Where it came from the convention or such and such. And I said, well, you guys are having a good time. He said, well, what industry are you in? And I said, well, I'm in the mortgage industry. And they go, folks, we found one of the guys that crowd our crashed our economy let's kill him and so and so it was one of those moments you go like oh geez maybe i better be a little bit more hidden about it. i'm in the mortgage industry because uh, neil cavuto said this i'm on national television with neil cavuto he goes dave i just realized national uh, news commentators are not the most popular people but i have a guest you who is even disliked more than me and that was mortgage banking at the time so hilarious well, so David, let me, let me wrap on this here as we kind of get down. So a lot of my audience um, is our mortgage professionals on the street, loan officers. Um, and, and I love those people because that, that's my people. I, I know do. what they, they're, 
I know what they're dealing with every day. I dealt with it every day and, and just a special kind of human. And so do you have a, a advice experience story mm. for them? Um, as there has, look, I mean, and, and I'll frame this up in my viewpoint and how I'm looking at the world right now. You know, we, we feel, I feel like we're in the middle of this weird storm. Yeah. It, it, it's good still. The rates are good. Market's hot. People are buying homes, you know, so most mortgage professionals, even though it works hard, you know, they're, they're doing well. Um, but, you know, as we all know, mortgage industry doesn't always just do well. It has these huge valleys, these huge cycles. Um, so, what, what, you know, I'm kind of looking at like, well, where, where the, could this go? And what, what, think, story, what would you say? I think it, I always consulted this. I started using this when I first, what made me successful as a salesperson was I'd ask people why they're refinancing or why they're buying. I anchored all the difficult times on their why. If they didn't want to give me tax returns, I go, but didn't you tell me you want to buy this because you're pregnant and you have another baby coming? You, you, you pull on that why. So I anchor on someone's why. And so what I get to is what is your why for being in the business? You may be even the best of times and everything's like that, but you get tired. There's, there's some yes. transactions. You know them out. You oh, they, just, they rip your heart out. Just kick you in the groin and you're just feeling like, do I even want to be in this anymore? It's yes. just or you have someone that dropped the ball. It wasn't your fault. You did everything well, but you're being blamed for it. You know how the really, how many stories we could go on and on. Everyone's got this. Everyone's got them. So here's the deal. I go back to this. What is your why? I believe that being a loan originator and being in this business is the fourth most transformative thing you can do for people's lives. The first thing I think anyone who has a strong faith that says, you know what? Yeah, that's a spiritual, deep, deep thing. One of the most important things. I think the second thing that can happen that's transformative in someone's life is get married and start having a family. I think that is, you find your life partner and that is such a gift. The third thing is, guess what is, when when you have those kids, I talk about getting married yep. and having the kids, there's yep. something about even the guy, you know how many guys you know that were party boys they, and they had trouble growing up yes. until they got married, until they got that first kid. Then what do they want to go buy? You got to buy a house. Yep. All of a sudden, reality comes in, and it's the fourth most transformative thing in someone's lives. I think we're involved in one of the most special industries of all the vertical markets that you could be into because we get to go in, and because of how we handle a situation well yes. or badly, do really well or pathetically, it's going to make a difference in someone's life. And I think as professionals, that's why I'm so passionate, Alec about let's do this and let's do it well. Let's do it in excellence. And what are you, that's why I love your podcast. You're interviewing people, and I'm just an honor to be on your podcast. You oh, get well. some, look at who you have as guests. I go, are you kidding me? You want me on? That's awesome. I think it's so important that we discover that why and yes. we anchor on it. And we use that during those difficult times. It'll make all the difference in your life and your world. And better, more importantly, you'll make a difference in someone else's life. David, God bless you, man. Um, thank you for hanging out with me today. And, and for everybody that's just kind of getting a, a flavor for you for the first time, man, it's like, where have you been? Go look at on lending, follow this guy's journey. He's interviewing industry rock stars and he, he's coming from it with this perspective. And I just want to thank you for carving time today, my man. It's been awesome. It's an honor to be here with you. I really mean it. Congratulations on your success and um, continue success. Keep doing, keep telling stories and encouraging others to do the same. There it is, everybody. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you on the next episode of the Modeling Podcast. Take care, everybody.